Hi Tom, how you doing? Hey, how are you? Yeah, good thanks. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, man. Anytime. <laughs> How's, uh, I guess, um, it's the evening at your end, is it? Yeah, sort of. Uh, it's like 6 p.m. It's not too bad. Not too bad. Good man. Good man. Good man. <laughs> and now you're over in the, uh, in the States or somewhere else? I'm in Thailand at the moment. Oh, nice. You having a good time? Uh, we wore for the last seven months, and now it's getting a little bit like uh, closing in on a lockdown. Not yet, but it's closing in. So it's, you know, it's, it's fun. To, but we were great for six, seven months now, like completely everything like back to usual. So it, it was fun. I've heard they go quite, uh, quite strict when they lock down. They properly lock down. They probably hit it hard and, and uh, yeah, close literally everything. Is that right? Yeah, they do. But that means within like three to four weeks, we'll be back to normal again. So it's, you know, it's one of these, like, it's good and bad at the same time. Not like the States, like where we don't have our shit together at all. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. you know, nothing's properly locked down. Nothing actually happens. The businesses don't even know why they're locked down. You know, like you can't have, my business can't be open, but the Walmart can be open. It doesn't make any sense, right? It's not even like here, it's closed. Like delivery yeah, yeah. only. Yeah. So like we're kind of complaining now, but dude, like I know within four weeks it'll be reopened and we'll be all fine again. So uh, <laughs> that's what we do, right? Like we want absolutely. things to be, yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, hey, listen, Tom, um, let's just dive straight into it if that's okay. And, and we'll just, yeah, uh, yeah chew the fat. Um, hey everyone, welcome to Startup Chats. Uh, today I've got Tom and Abet with me. Um, Tom, do you want to just introduce yourself to the audience and tell um, the audience what you do and, and a bit about yourself? Uh, it's a little difficult because I've done so many things, you know, like many business things. Uh, I filmed a documentary, did some music stuff, was a sound engineer, hip hop artist, um, had brick and mortar businesses, uh, coffee shop, record store, many online businesses. Um, marketing. Fantastic. Yeah. Marketing has yeah. been like the over kind of connecting arch. Oh, you know, like I've always been into sales and marketing a bit. Um, but yeah, a lot of things, man. Like it's, it's, it's been a long journey when I think back. So your focus, am I right in thinking at the moment, is helping um, basically create online courses for, so for content creators, for people who want to learn and educate and help their audience. Is that right? Kind of. We help market online courses now. So yeah. we moved our marketing company from being hey, we'll help anybody, which, you know, it's, it's good, but it's not at the same time. And two, we're only going to help course creators. And that helped us very quickly become a big fish in a small pond, which, you know, a lot of people say don't do that, but you kind of do want to. It's sweet. You know, it's, it's a much easier life. And, and I agree, you know, if you want to scale and do other things, then maybe it's not the best thing. But look, services are not something that I'm looking to scale. Services are something, in my opinion, that should be really easy, not take up much time and make you a lot of money. That's what services are for. And then when you get the audience, when you build up the expertise, then when you go into different business models that are scalable and much less annoying than services, right? So with services, I'm like, well, I understand why people say don't kind of narrow in too much, but it kind of depends what you're trying to do. 
I think it helps massively, to be honest with you. And, I, and, you know, we say that to all our clients, really know who your audience is, because ultimately you can't appeal to everybody. Um, and it's really important to have that sort of focused niche. Um, it makes everything easier. It makes your messaging easier. It makes your marketing easier. It makes, I guess, creating even a process to, cr- to drive efficiencies easier because you can sort of, you know, literally you know, map out the process and you can replicate that quite easily. So I think niching down audiences is massively, massively helpful. But of course, once you've got that one niche nailed, then, you know, there's nothing to say you can't look at, you know, other niches or expand further with other services. But I think having yeah. a focus really, really definitely helps. Yeah, but everything you said is right. That You know, the only caveat there is if someone wants to build a big agency, you know, something really massive, then you can't really niche down unless it's a niche that just has massive potential, you know, and course creators are not really that type of niche, right? I'm talking about like if you're, let's say, in some sort of a waste management business and all the waste management companies in the world that have massive amounts of money can pay you for something, you can niche down and scale a lot. With course creators, you know, if you look at the platforms, like the platforms themselves are not even that big. You know what I mean? Like, so for a service um, standpoint, like it's good, like I said, for the lifestyle and to make a lot of money quick, get big, get exposure and then build something that can scale. But, you know, if you have a service company, it's like, I want to build this to a hundred people in my company and I want to make blah, 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 20, $30 million a year. Well, not every niche can support that. And that's kind of where, you know, the pushback comes in. But again, it like depends what you're looking for. Like the last thing I would recommend to anyone is build a huge service agency. You can count the really big and successful ones on your fingers and like one hand, you know, like the really, really big ones. I think it goes further than that as well, doesn't it? I think it goes into the what type of business do you want to operate and run? Because if you want a big service business, you need, like you said, lots of people, but there's lots of hassles that come with having lots of people, you know, lot. HR, <laughs> payroll, you know, firing, hiring, you know, all that stuff. And it's just, you know, it, it comes down to what kind of business you want to operate. Um, and I think that's, that's the key. I think often people get carried away with just looking at, you know, well, how much money I can I make, but actually I think people need to bring it down a level to think about what kind of business do I want to run? What suits my personality? What sort of lifestyle do I want? You know, do I want to be working 24 seven or do I want to work four hours a day? You know, whatever it is, or even four hours a week. Um, so going back to um, obviously what you've seen in, in that space for um, course creators, what is the biggest problem that you're seeing for those um, who are trying to create an online course and are failing? What, what are you seeing in that space? So it's a, it's a similar thing to any business person that I see that's failing, right? They're not treating it as a business. They don't have the foundation. They don't have the skill sets. Um, the, the thing with course creators, um, let's just focus on the ones that actually know what they're teaching, right? Because there's a massive amount that don't, you know, they're just like, Hey, I've been doing this. It's not working. Let's create a course. That's no one's asking for, you know, obviously destined to fail, but the ones that do know what they're doing and know how to teach, Well, when you think of it, you have a couple hats that you have to wear, right? The educator hat, the tech hat, because you got to figure out how to do all this stuff, Um, customer service, and then marketing. I've been learning marketing and I've been in marketing for 20 something years now. And trying to figure out what I know 
coming off, you know, um, just from some different field, like that's not easy. You know, I, I kind of look at it as someone trying to jump into a car that's running like 40 kilometers per hour or 40 miles per hour. That's what it's like when someone's like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to jump into this field, you know, and then do the marketing. Well, you might jump in the car, but best case scenario, you're going to get beat up, you know, in some way, because that car is going to hit you anyways. Like there's no way you're going to jump in and you're going to be all, you know, there's going to be bruises. There's going to be a lot, maybe a broken bone or two, but that's the best case scenario. The most common one is you're going to just hit the car and bounce off. And then be like, hey, what happened? This course is not selling or, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. This audience sucks. That's like the main thing, right? These people just suck. They're not buying. And it's like, no, it's not them. It's often not them. <laughs> so, so do you think it's, um, I guess there's a fundamental difference between somebody who is actually a, a teacher, should we say, in broad terms, whether they're teaching yoga, whether they're teaching boxing whether they're teaching i don't know maths you know whether they're teaching music or whether they're teaching i don't know whatever so the big difference between somebody who's actually a teacher and doing it now so they know their industry well as opposed to somebody going hey let's just create a, an online course about something i don't really know about it but i'll just go and make something up and, and fire it out there clearly that person who who knows their niche has a massive advantage and i think what, what you're talking about are those who are going to hit the car and bounce off are those ones who just think this is a good idea let's just do it even though i don't know much about it but i can probably put something together and try and flog it um how do you see those two groups so the one you mentioned is someone that jumps in a moving car gets in and realizes there's no driver Right. So this is what usually happens. Someone that is a teacher and knows their niche really, really well and just has a good product, often what they will do is get that first five to low six figures very easily, right? By knowing kind of, you know, what they're selling, knowing the audience, but they never know why they were able to do it. So it's usually one channel, one message, and sort of luck. But right? do you find those, those that... Yeah, but do you find that group who who do know their niche and they've done it for a while, they're quite as good as they are at the teaching. It's quite hard to convert them into bringing their real world teaching skills into the digital world. Is is that no transition no, quite think, hard for them? No, I don't think that's hard. It's it's mostly just not knowing how to present it, how to persuade people. But like I said, some do get lucky. Some if they know their niche enough. And they can present the problem, present the outcome, uh, put some value on it. And it's not that difficult, right? But some niches are luckier than others, you know, like because the outcome is clear and there's some external motivation. So we don't actually need to sell them on it. Like people know, for example, um, I'm trying to get an uh, insurance job, right? And my insurance company says I need to pass a series six or a series seven, which are the, you know, uh, the, either the mutual fund or the stock, whatever, those exams, right? So the, the job will say you have a month to pass this. And then you have a couple of choices. Do it by yourself. You'll probably fail. You can drive to the company back and forth on the weekends. Maybe. Okay. You know, or you can get the best teacher in the world from your house to do it with you. Right. And then you take that, you know, like there's external motivation. Like you need to take this course. And I was just picking the best teacher. And those often have that luck. Right. They come to me like, Tom. I put it out, 
I got lucky, one channel, low six figures, anything else I do, like actual marketing, it's not working. But again, I'm, I'm just putting out videos on YouTube. But you know, when they try actually marketing it, it doesn't work anymore because they've never got that right. So there is a luck factor. And, and some of the people that get lucky, look, hitting five, six figures, and it's like that's super easy. It's just the next step, right? Like, the, like, how do I move off of YouTube? Or what often happens, and this is the moment they call me, is if I can, if I put out 10 more videos this week, I get no more sales. It always helped. Every week I put out 10 more videos and it's been getting up. Now it's not. I'm plateauing. I'm like, well, you hit that threshold with YouTube. Now you got to go somewhere else. And then they try and it doesn't work, right? So the marketing is still the problem. But some just, you know, like, like I said, enough external motivation, right channel, right place, right moment, you know, and it's and everything's working fine. Now, if you're in the wrong niche and you have nothing like that going for you, often these people just say like, well, it's nothing selling. But that's just because you don't have that lucky, you know, break that some people do. But the right marketing can often make it work. Now, the problem that happens with that audience a lot is... They're good teachers. You know, they maybe came from colleges from, you know, somewhere where people were mandatory kind of to take their course. You know, like when you go to a college, it's like, well, you get to pick six courses and then you're trying to figure out like what's going to be helpful and then what's not going to be annoying and easy, right? So that's kind of your idea when you're picking courses in college. Well, they come and they're like, well, I've been teaching this for 15 years. I put the course out. No one wants it. I was like, yeah, because it's not mandatory. No one in the world would want to take it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so well, yeah, but it's just honesty, right? And then I'm telling yeah, yeah, them, yeah. like, look, if we try marketing this, so for your course, it's going to be kind of validation slash marketing because you don't know why you put this out. No one asked you for it. It's, you know, so we're sort of validating. And often we'll find that you are just off in your assumptions, your positioning, right? Maybe you were trying to teach people how to get over the fear of public speaking, which no one really cares about because they wanna know how to persuade others and sell things. And you could tweak the course to have that same impact in a way, right? Cause you know these topics, but you assumed that this one thing would work while our audience told us there's a different path and now you got to redo the course because no one asked you to make that first one. So there are a lot of different you know, things that happen. And often people have come to me with a, with a done course that hasn't sold anything. And no one asked for, I'm like, like, I feel so bad for you. Cause we're, you know, one, we're flipping a coin. And from my experience, you're most likely going to have to redo this course because no one probably wanted it. I think that comes down to almost the whole validation of any business that you're starting up, isn't it? To sort of make sure that there is a marketplace for it. Um, because clearly if, you know, if you've got um, a, should we call it quote unquote, real world business um, that that is looking to transition from the real world to the digital world, there is validation. The question then is, is the validation to scale? Um I think a lot of businesses, obviously, you know, and, and this, whether it's, I guess, a, a learning platform or, or any type of business, you know, that validation, a lot of businesses don't do sometimes that validation, particularly online businesses or tech businesses. They don't properly go and speak to their audience and see if there's a marketplace for it. And then they end up pivoting. So I think there's a lot of credibility to what you're saying. 
that actually, you know, if they haven't done that validation, then they then they discover there's hurdles on 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 the road, or they have to change their you know their learning material. Um, what would you say? So going back for any any anybody who's listening who might be looking to develop an online course, um, who you know I don't know, just say like a, a you know a, a gym owner who's having to shut their physical gym um, because of the current sort of crisis. How how what, what for, you know what steps would you suggest that they start thinking about and taking? now um to sort of position their business online and not just rely on um people walking through the door if we approach a gym owner right because every situation is a little different so if i'm you know speaking to a gym owner it doesn't translate to a florist right like it's it's you know specific um the the first thing i'll say is broad and this works with any brick and mortar and i found most owners don't realize this. When they try to go online, they keep thinking about the same people they've been selling to offline, right? So if it's a gym owner, they'll be like, well, I have these people that come to the gym and use the machines and I'm gonna sell to them online. The better market often is your competition online because they might wanna know something that you've been doing right for a long, long time and you always look at them like, of course, I'm not going to tell them because they're going to steal my clients. Well, it's a little different online. That service could make you quite a bit of money. You know, you could teach gym owners all over the world something that only you've been doing and they want to know. And it's a much easier sale because there's a value attached to it. That's probably a little bit massive. You know, like I want to help you do this, this and that. And that helped me make $30,000 extra a year. And I'll be like, I want to know that. Normally you would be like, I will never tell my competition, but online, it could be a huge niche for you. What sort now, of example would you give in that sort of, I guess, gym, gym perspective? Well, it, it depends, right? Like you could be a gym that's amazing at getting reviews, Google reviews, and you have a method that you've been using that's been working really, really well for you. And you've got like 900 reviews and everyone else has like maybe 30 in their small niches. I'm like, well, I'll teach you this method. And it's guaranteed to increase your revenue, right? Just something, something simple, like a system, like a part of a system that you're doing, you know, like maybe an average gym has, you know, seven workers. You've been able to do a much better job with four and you've had other people because, you know, you have friends in your niche, but usually you don't tell them your secrets. They'll be like, they'll ask you like, how have you been doing that? How have you been selling so many shakes? How have you been doing something? And you're just like, you know, I'm just good. Those things that people ask you for, that's exactly what you want to sell online. That's That'll be the first. Yeah. So not not necessarily the thing that you do on a day-to-day basis, but no. the, 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 the things that you do to be successful. If that behind sense. the scenes. Yeah. The behind the scene thing that people know, but they, they'll ask you, but you'll never tell them otherwise. All right. That's interesting. And that but works in, a in way, every business. It, in a way, then you're moving away from the core fundamentals of the business, aren't you? So that gym owner is not doing like a video or training, teaching people how to lift weights or whatever. The gym owner is then appealing to. So, he's not, so you're saying the gym owner is not necessarily appealing to that person who would typically go into their gym to do it online, but actually, you're, the gym owner is educating other gym owners to do better at what they do. I guess. Yeah. So you have to think of the customer, right? 
a normal customer pays you maybe $60 a month to use your weights. You take that away and what value are you really bringing to them? You know, you could teach them how to buy weights. That's a, such a small problem to solve. You know, um, what you could do, but this is only for the gym owners that have a little more, I guess, nutritional experience. You could also start selling supplements, your own design supplements. It's very easy. You know, you can find a manufacturer, white label one, create labels, create your own formula and sell it on Amazon. Very scalable too. You know, use your list from the gym, use your persona. And then again, but what I'm saying is what's the easiest thing that you can sell when you first go online. And that's that behind the scenes knowledge because you're going to make the most for it. And it's going to be the least amount of work and people will want it the most. And if you're doing that well, then you can use that money to then create different supplements. You can have, you know, um, online video programs and, and things which will make some money, but it's going to be much harder to market. So in a way you're saying for these types of industries or businesses or wanting, those who want to create a course, it's better to be a coach of coaches, if that makes sense. Yeah. Rather than a coach for the public. Yeah, because you got to think, right? Like now you will be competing with every influencer, wannabe trainer on YouTube, Instagram. Like you're just one of like thousands, you know, that's just, you know. And if you're not a good looking person too, it's going to be much harder because online as a, you know, fitness professional, it does matter a lot. So I always think of like, where can you bring the most value, make the most money in the easiest way, you know, because that's, that's what we want. Later on, you can, you know, try doing all these other things that are much harder for you when you start looking at your value ladder, you know, because you could have a business like I do sometimes where, you know, you provide services they are quite expensive and you don't have much to sell at the bottom. But the way I do it is I'm going to create those services lower, you know, on the value ladder based on what people ask me for. So as I'm building my list and I'm selling the higher end services, there's going to be quite a few people that want it, but can't afford it. Right. So I'm like, well, you're not going to be able to pay me for a do it with me session. So instead of paying 10 or $15,000, maybe you can pay seven fifty, and you'll get the online course with an hour of group training. Right. And that makes sense to them then because like, well, we've been asking for it and you just don't have anything for us. So it, that, you know, but you have a crowd that you're building up and they're asking you things. You know, sometimes that you'll see 20 people ask you for a certain piece of what you're teaching and like, well, I'm going to break that off. And then I'm going to just sell that as a productized thing, either a service or a course. Right. But I like taking the easy way, right. Make the money, build the audience and have them start asking me. And then they ask me for so many things I can sit down and instead of being reactive or like, I need to make money and I'll do anything. I'm like, hmm, I don't even know if I want to do this. Let me really figure it out if this is the business model I want at that part of the value ladder. Does it have a lot of fulfillment? Maybe someone's asking me, a lot of people are asking me for something very annoying, right? Like, which is not that much, but it's going to cost a lot of time. And then I'm like, well, I don't know if I want to hire people to do it. Maybe that's not. So there's something else they're asking me for, which is easier. And I'll be like, okay, I'll go into that, right? But it's people asking me things. That's when it's so much easier to sell these lower value 
items than trying to push it onto people initially. You see what I mean? Like even in the online course marketing space, the reason I became a big fish really easily because like initially someone would say like, oh, you know, I want to do course marketing. Yeah, you're the most expensive. I'm like, yeah, I know. And they'll be like, well, but you know, this lady, she's known and she does it. I'm like, yeah, but she's not going to do anything for you. She just sells an online course for $2,000 teaching you how to do course marketing. Like none of these biggest people in my niche actually want to work with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? So if you get into the right spot, you might actually be one of the only ones. And that's when you can price yourself as well that's doing it because no one else actually wants to do the work. And I find online, almost nobody wants to do the work. Everyone's looking for like an easy way out. When so you say the work, to... what do you mean? What were you specifically talking about there? So? And, and comparing you know, to not doing the work because what's, what's that look like? Well, I can coach you or I can do it for you. Most people want to be coaches or even when they get too lazy to coach you, they just want to create some videos that you watch and that's your coaching, right? So I don't know why, but online there's this thing about getting away from work. You know, I want to have passive income and I want to have all this stuff automated and people just don't want to do the work. Seriously, like if you're a gym person, you can be like, well, I know I'm going to teach you the system. I'm going to go over your system. I'm going to implement it for you. And then you just run it. You're probably one in a kind. Most people will just be like, well, I have the system or you have to get into my system and pay me monthly. Like there's just so many ways where everyone wants to kind of make it easy. And how can I make a lot of money, but just not do anything. Right. And that's why often people recommend, yeah, just create these like 30, 90, hundred dollar things that people buy, but you don't have to do anything, which is great. If you have an audience. You, well, you know, see you have a those big... courses on like Udemy and things like that, don't you, for like $30 or something? I mean, that's just you're completely valuing yourself. You know, that's that's like bottom of the barrel. Uh, to me, like a lower end course that actually makes sense would be between like 90 and $400. That's low end. The stuff you see for like 10, 20 bucks, I'm like, are you even serious? Like you're getting like a dollar or two from that. But that's going back to your point of these people just created these videos, put them out there and just want to sort of have that passive income. So what does it look like in terms of actually going that step further and offering greater value to the audience? Are you talking about actually turning up on like live Q and A's with your audience, um, creating a community? What, what, what does that look like? Well, it simply has a life component to it, right? So let's say you have a course that you're selling for, let's say $700, right? And the classes are meant to go for four weeks. So then you could have, let's say two live sessions per month, you know, that's depending if you're, you know, throwing people in at the same time. If not, then it's going to be a little different. Then you could just have like one session a week and people just kind of come through, but it's going to get more confusing because everyone's at a different step. But what you could do is something like, okay, I'm going to sell you this course for $500 and I'll give you like a 20 minute intro call. I'll go over your problems and tell you which parts to tackle first from this course and give you some insights, right? So it's just a little personalized thing. Again, most people don't even want to do that. So then the easier thing is you sell the $500 course and then you make a much more expensive version, which is like, you know, a thousand something and you'll get that coaching call or you'll then get thrown into like a weekly coaching. It's going to be all over the place. But look, 
I'll let you stay in there for three months because I'm doing one hour a week anyways for everybody. And then as you, you know, keep doing things, go on, you can keep asking questions and I answer all of them every Friday and then you get to watch it, replays, whatever. So just a small life component already puts you far ahead of all the lazy course creators. I think that's a great, um, great tip for anyone who's sort of thinking about doing that. You mentioned about pricing um, and it's interesting, isn't it? With a lot of these courses, they, um, they appear, well, not all of course, but um, it tends to be a one-off payment. Um, where, where does that sort of, where does the pricing mechanism come into it? How does somebody price their product correctly? Should people maybe even think of it more of a, a, a SaaS uh, business um, rather than a, a course so you know there's a monthly subscription instead of a big one-off chunk of payment what's your thoughts about pricing i think SaaS businesses come after online courses because they take the most investment and need the biggest audience to get started quickly right so usually it's you start a service business or become a freelancer just become good at something you take that knowledge to create some kind of a course you make that money and then you create the shovels for people to you know so like you start building an audience that way um, as it comes to pricing, well, free is the worst. Those are the worst customers, right? You give anything away for free, you get the worst, dumbest responses from people <laughs> all the time, all the time. And it's, I, I actually just block them and take them off my list immediately when I hear something stupid. So don't and offer I, a free version. Yeah, you, you just, it, even getting feedback from them is worthless, completely worthless, right? So free, forget that. The next step up from free is the Walmart shopper right? Also a special kind of a person, right? Most of them like a lot of stuff, a lot of bonuses, never go over the material and have a lot of uh, questions and concerns and other things, right? The crowd that I like are the Nordstrom shoppers. And well, the sorry? way you, the Nordstrom shopper, Nordstrom shopper, it's, it's a store that's a little, I would say higher end, in the US, it's a North, it's a- it's Okay, like a, so I'm just trying to think right. what the equivalent would be in the UK. So maybe John Lewis or something like that, I don't know. <laughs> you know, actually something that's got a name behind it usually is already in that position. So yeah. the difference between a Walmart shopper and an Ostrom shopper is that one of them knows the value of their time, right? They know that my time is worth $30. It's not that I make $8 to stand somewhere, it's worth $30, whether I'm working or not. My time is worth this much. Right. And usually those are the easiest customers. They can understand value. They want the shortest type of course because they want the outcome. They don't want the bonuses and the toilet paper and the 50 other things you give them. They want to get from A to B the quickest. That's the, those are the best customers, right? And, 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 and the pricing for the Walmart ones usually ends between like 100 to $200, depending. Usually they're below that, much below, but they can go as high as that if you give them enough bonuses, you know, like 80 hours of nonsense. And the Nordstrom shoppers will start from like 150 all the way up to, you know, $900, $1,000 or, you know, so. So that's kind of what you want to go after. The people who know the value of their time, understand the outcomes, have actual clear vision. They don't want your bonuses. They don't want actually free toilet paper and all this other stuff that they would normally get. They simply want to take the course because they have a need, they value it, and they'll be much easier for you as students as well, you know, because when they'll you, understand. Yeah, definitely. So when you create these courses, do you, t do you 
advise or for people to create like a, a course which actually has a, a beginning and end point. So when somebody pays, say, a thousand pounds, yeah, you know, it is literally you get that. Um, yes, because obviously, if you're creating, um, you know, a weekly, a monthly live session or more videos that are coming out, then clearly a thousand pounds. Well, you've only got that one payment. But if you're looking to keep that customer or that person who wants to learn on a on 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 an ongoing journey, where you're constantly creating content, do you would it be better then to have more of a monthly subscription model, or can can both come into play, or is it best when you create a course just to create a one-off course and not an ongoing course? So it depends on your customer, right? If someone's trying to learn for a Series Six exam and that might be worth $300 yeah. for them. That's it. Once they yeah, pass the exam, you're not necessary yeah, yeah. anymore. If they're working on a system in their business, even when they learn that part of the system, they're going to have problems moving on, you know, like three, four months from now. They might want that hourly support in case something happens, right? Like what I found with one of my um, clients, he wanted to sell an online course, right? But he was actually implementing this type of a system thing in a certain business, right? And what he realized is these people are so busy, value their time, they would buy the course, but they would never take it. All they wanted to do is they have problems every single week. They want to be able to ask this problem, get it answered on a Friday and implement on Monday. And they don't really care what you're doing, but they want that access anytime something happens. So he had a recurring forever, but the value was different. The outcome was different. Like I'm, I'll teach you the system, but it's an ongoing thing. Unless you shut your business down, it, you'll always have some problems with it, you know, because it's, it's a people business. So effectively, if you're gonna create that type of business where there's a constant requirement for knowledge information, would you suggest a monthly subscription model is the way to go rather than a, you know, a, a, or, or can a hybrid exist? I would do a hybrid. I would, I would tell people they have two options. I'll give them the course with, let's say that includes three months of this or an annual, you know, recurring from the bat. And a lot will take it. You know, I don't like monthly. Um, I, I don't recommend selling anything less than three months. The more times someone sees that you take money from them, the more likely they are to cancel. If they only see it four times a year, they're much less annoyed. You know, then it's like, hey, I'm doing my New Year's resolution and looking over all my stuff. And look at this guy taking money every single month. Let's cancel him. You know what I mean? It's just psychology. So three months is the minimum that I would do. Anything less and you're kind of getting into that easy to cancel category. That's interesting. That's interesting. Um, so effectively like a billing period of, you know, quarterly billing periods, do a quarterly at least, or do an annual version of it. So it's not necessarily to do with, um, cause I know in the, in the, for example, the SaaS space, um, they're, they're, you know, you see a lot of businesses, tech businesses moving from that monthly or, or offering a monthly, but encouraging an annual payment and giving them a discount because obviously that helps in terms of their, uh, their revenue models that they change significantly um, in terms of that 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 curve, um, and it really helps with that cash flow. But I wonder if it's the same with the learning sort of side of things, or whether you know where people want that cash flow quicker, um, or whether it's more the psychology, like you're saying, you're not in there, you know, 
they're not there's not a reason for you to uh, easily dip in and dip out effectively. So it depends, right? Like the only thing that can hold people in for a long time if they don't have that ongoing kind of knowledge problem is a community. If you can build a community around people don't like leaving places where their friends are and, you know, things like that. With Sauce, it's a little different, right? Like for me, if I'm using an app and initially I always do monthly because I don't know, I don't know if I'm going to like it, right? So let's talk about like yeah, ConvertKit, right? I, I started with ConvertKit. I used them for about a year, year and a half. And then I was like, yeah, I'll probably be using that. So I waited till I think it was Thanksgiving, you know, Black Friday. I messaged them like, what do you got? You know, they gave me like four or five months off. And I'm like, you know, I, I would be using it anyways, but if I'm using it that way, and it doesn't cost them anything. Like I said, they're at that last stage selling shovels. They don't have to rebuild ConvertKit every time. Like I, you know, it doesn't matter to them. So you can give very, you know, steep discounts with software like that. But if you're doing online coaching, if you give too bit, too much of a discount, you're devaluing your time. It's like, you're still getting on those calls. Like I want a minimum of like $75, you know, from each person, you know, if it's at least like a hundred, 200, but I don't even want to do it. You know, what's the point? It's my time. I'm still, it, it might be a lot of money to some people, but I'm still trading my time for it. And I don't want to devalue that too much. So it's a different business model, you know, can't really no, look at it as, as software. Yeah. Yeah, no, 100%, 100%. Um, but no, it's interesting how you bring that point about the psychology of, um, yeah, when you when somebody sees your that monthly bill coming out consistently, they're, pretty, they're more tempted to, or more easily cancel it, I guess. Well, um, they might be in a bad mood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, how does, um, yes, so, so building that community around whatever offering you're looking to make as a as a, a teacher um or you know somebody's looking to build an online course I, from what you're saying it obviously sounds as quite important component in terms of you know keeping people within that ecosystem would you build that sort of community within just a platform uh, or would you look to sort of combine the online learning platform with um like facebook groups or something else like that Starting out, I would probably use a Facebook group um, because as you know, I've said before, uh, my idea of business is getting in quickly, least stress, least amount of time, let's make money. But once you are doing those, the second big important component is control, right? So if you have enough people and you're making enough money, there's no way in the world I would trust Facebook with my group and I would move them off onto my own platform. You know, and then a lot of people do that. But initially you're looking at just, you know, what's the less, least friction way of starting a business. So I always tell people like, look, stop making business cards, stop doing all this nonsense, just get some clients. That's how I've started every business. Like my SEO business, when I started it out, I think it took 10 or 11 clients before someone actually asked me where my website is. And I was like, oh yeah, I should probably make that. I had nothing. That was like the last thing on my mind. I was like, do you care about how I'm ranking myself? or my other clients, because I can show you them. And everyone's like, yeah, that's all I care about. But you know, it took a lot of people before they actually said like, hey, why don't you have a website? I was like, oh, no. didn't have a need for it. But then, you know, when people ask me, I was like, yeah, I can make that. You know, I, I have money, I have clients, it's fine. But it's usually the last thing on my mind, all of this like, you know, nonsense, which usually people put first. Well, you know what? I think that you hit on a really good point. And I think a lot of people starting out without a doubt 
do you know worry about all this stuff about business cards about you know I don't know just silly things before they've even started before they're even making money and I think what you sort of touched on the fact that you were just focused on just just I've got to make this work I've got to go and get clients I'm focused on clients all that other stuff is almost irrelevant yeah and that's that's been every business of mine and and here's why I like doing that initially when I started thinking about the online course space um, we created two very simple landing pages um, one for helping create courses, one for helping market courses. Got a couple clients in each. After about four months, I realized I hate helping people create courses because I'm doing the babysitting. I am, that's the worst job for me ever, right? But we took what, like 30, 40 minutes to create the page. We, you know, we created an opt-in instead of that. And it's like, you know, whatever, take it behind the bar and shoot it. Don't think about it. We didn't put much time into it. Nothing. Right. So it's much easier to kill these babies of yours if you don't put much time making them in the first place, especially when they're not working out, right? Because the sunken fallacy cost is real. If you invest $50,000 in starting your business and it's a horrible business and you don't like it, but you put so much money into it, you're going to go much longer mm. than I would. And, you know, you'd probably be able to do something much better, you know, but no, you're going to keep pushing because, oh, I put so much effort and money. I was like, yeah, you got the best business card in the world and the worst business. Good job. <laughs> lovely branding, lovely colors, lovely logos. Oh, yeah, it's actually, all great. But no actually, customers, though. <laughs> no customers. <laughs> so in a way, for anyone who's starting, starting out, a great, a great sort of takeaway um, is just focus on, you know, just it's almost... You're testing. You're testing to see if there's a market. You're testing to see if you like that market. You're testing to see if there's an appetite for that market before you go and spend a lot of money doing all this other important things. Um, but uh, but it's it's you get validation to a certain extent, aren't you? Well, the other way I just like to tell people is like, if you're not making money, you don't have a business. It, it doesn't matter that you have a store that you opened and you put all this money. If you're not making money, it's not a business. It's a hobby. It's a probably crappy hobby, you know, because that's the only reason why we're starting businesses in the first place, right? We need to make money, make profits, and those handle a lot of the other problems. And then you can delegate and do everything because money allows you to do it. So the only thing you should be thinking of when you're starting a business, how do I sell this thing that I'm selling? And then, you know, often you'll realize like, oh man, I sold it. Now I got to fulfill it and I hate that. Well, thankfully you didn't build all this stuff out and you just fulfill this one client or give him a refund and be like, yeah, okay, let me try something else. No, definitely, definitely. So um, so what's next for you in terms of, uh, of your own business? Where where do you want to sort of take it? Um, are you, are you, you know, what are your, what are your plans? Uh, we're in a very sweet spot now. Um, we're sort of a high-end boutique with our business. So we only take a few clients, the best paying clients. Everyone else, we either try to help or tell them to wait. You know, and the list is growing quite quickly now. Um, and now we're figuring out um, whether we're going to put out some productized services out. We have a few that we've tested. They kind of worked out. So that's one thing. Online education, maybe. I think in our niche group coaching and ongoing group coaching will work better. Um, because I find, let's say, if you're my client. And I say, oh, you need to write an autoresponder, which is like the email sequence that's going to warm up people before the sale. I can give you templates. I can tell you everything. Or you're going to mess it up every single time. So I can't just do that in an online course and then knowingly 
that you're going to mess it up, give it out. So something where maybe, you know, like we will do like group coaching and I'll have some editors with me who actually go through these, right? So it's, it's more of a, you still need to take care of your clients. And then we're just thinking of, you know, but we're, the main thing now for us is just build the audience because we have the money from our clients. We have a lot of time. Um, now it's more about like, let's figure out these different business models and see which one really, really works for us. And then the last thing, once we have a big enough audience, it's probably going to be a kind of some kind of a sauce in that, but I, I need a really big audience. I want to be able to go to that ten, twenty thousand dollars a month, the second I put it out, right? I, I'm not looking to struggle with that business. So enough people asking me for things, enough audience, enough trust. That's a that's when you have an overnight success. No, sounds good. Sounds good. You got that community that you can get that feedback to uh, to actually launch something that they. Oh, I'm gonna in, I'm so. gonna make them pay for it before I build it. That's how I'll know. A hundred percent that it's going to work. I'm not going to do a thing. I'm not going to hire one coder until they pay me to build that thing. So that's why I stress, you know, use the easier ways first, which are service and these other things. So you can build all of these things in place. And then when you're ready, it's like that, you know, that rich person who says, I don't ever pay for hotels because they just give it to me. You know what I mean? Like it's it's that thing when you, you get to that point where like it's kind of a snowball effect and everything becomes much, much easier. And even with my service business, we've seen this, you know, like three, four years ago when we first jumped into the course space, I was like, we need validation. I'll take anyone on. Very quickly, we're like, okay, we're not taking any of these people on anymore. We've learned our lesson. Then we had a pricing issue. We're like, we're pricing way too low for this. Then we realized we're doing too much work. So we simplified it, right? So it kind of, you know, the iterations happen until we now have like a really good system. And I only get the best clients and they take the least amount of time. I bring them the most value and it's it's a perfect business in a way. But then, you know, that also took work, right? Like, you know, you, you need to put in the work in every step to make that next step much, much easier. Sure, for sure. I think sometimes it can make, it can all sound too easy. Um, I don't it's, think it's not look you're going to no. bang your head against the wall a lot um but that's business that's what we do right that's why we got 100%. into it yeah 100%. that's what we love <laughs> <laughs> definitely definitely well listen tom thanks so much for joining me mate um is there any sort of last little few snippets you can share with anyone who's looking to start their own sort of learning sort of course um, the only thing I'd, I'd say, uh, don't build an audience before you have anything to sell to. I found this kind of not work well. Um, and this was actually in the fitness niches a lot. People would build a big following then put something out and nobody wants it. Like you're getting like a free audience. And remember what I said about free, they're, they're not worth very much. So you sort of want to, and this is why, you know, freelancing and servicing is such a good entry point you want to build your audience along people that you're selling to. And, and the big part of your audience will simply be someone that's either not ready, can't afford you, or just has a little different problem, but in the same niche, but these are people who are serious, right? So you might have a smaller audience, you know, just maybe a thousand or two or 3000, but these are actually serious people. When you put something out, you know, they'll always make it, you know, make it work. When, if you have like a huge audience of people who are looking for recipes, you might put something out and realize you can't even sell a t-shirt to them, right? So the audience building is tricky. That could be a whole different episode. Um, 
but try to build it as you're selling. You know, don't don't go into this like I'm gonna build you know a huge audience and then sell something. That, I, I would really stay away from that. That's that's one of the biggest. Yeah. So have it have it aligned. Have it very. Have it aligned. Yeah, yeah. Make sure you have something, even if it's your time initially, but sell something while you're building this audience. You know, so so it's kind of very they're very close to what you're doing. You know, yeah, not yeah, like yeah. hey, I want to sell this, but I'm gonna give away some nonsense because you know i gotta have a lead magnet and get people on my list you know that's, yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah. might not be the best idea definitely well they always say you know it, it's not on social particularly it's not all about the numbers it's about how actually good you, the quality of your audience is because at the end of the day it's better to have hundreds people who are gonna you know buy and like what you're doing as opposed to a hundred thousand who really just don't care yeah and the, the second thing is don't let clients run your business you run your business because if you let them, they'll push it in directions you will not like, and you're going to hate yourself and be in a place you don't like to be. Don't ever let clients run your business. Like, you know, have boundaries, tell them no is no. This is what I'm doing. Like even yesterday, I had a um, someone that's, you know, approached me to market their course. Cool guy. Had an idea, told them it's wrong, told them what he should do. That's all fine. This morning, I get an email saying like, hey, can you also do my YouTube marketing and podcasting? And I was like, I would love to. I don't do that. Not my expertise. You'll get much better value somewhere else. And I'm, I'm not being mean. I'm just like, look, this is completely not what I want to do. And it's a mismatch. And, you know, just know, right? Definitely. You're staying in your, your focus. Just say, yes, yeah, stay in your lane. I'll, I'll be able to do this part, deliver value, anything else. And I told him, you know, like you could pay me for something like that. Um, and I could maybe do it, but one, I'm going to hate doing it. And two, you would get the same value anywhere else because I completely don't care about growing your podcast. Right. So, you know, we can explain it to people too, but, you know, just have boundaries, like don't take on anything because people want you to, it's, it's, it's a horrible way to run your business. Definitely. Great tip, Tom. That's fantastic. But, uh, listen, I wish you all the best. Yeah. Um, thanks man. And, you too. Uh, yeah, but definitely and keep in touch. Um, and uh, yeah, be, be fascinating. We'll have to maybe do this again sometime, pick it up, uh, maybe sort of talk about some other sort of topics or other things that you're seeing in the space. That'd be great. Um, but otherwise, uh, yeah, we'll have to, uh, yeah, I hope it all goes well in Thailand anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just let me know. Um, maybe in like a year when, you know, things move forward, we can, we can do another one. Yeah, awesome. All right, Tom, you take care, mate. Yep, take care.